podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the first episode of South Africa on 99.94. I'm not South African. I've been there a couple of times. um, And Manners occasionally gives me meat from there. But... Uh, I'm really here to introduce the two hosts. So let's start with there. In the blue corner um, is Neil Manthorpe, one of the greatest cricket commentators living today. When I said living today, it does make you sound really old, does it? I didn't mean it to sound that old. An ultra marathon runner, former Zimbabwean press officer as well. <laughs> I can't go through his entire resume. Uh, Neil Manthorpe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for, for coming on board. But before I get to you, in the red corner is Lungani Zama, one of the one of the greatest wearer of hats you'll come across in the cricket media, who also sadly happens to be a brilliant feature writer. He's now involved in TV and everything else. Gentlemen, welcome to 99.94, and thank you for joining the podcast network. Thanks for having us. Thanks, JK. Now, uh, Zams, you just have a break for a minute because I, I have to ask Manners a little bit about his career, so that's, that's probably about 25 minutes. We'll try and... We'll try and compress it down to something quite short. Um, Manners, your journey is ridiculously long and arduous even before you started distance running. Uh, for those who don't who don't know anything about this, can you tell us about how you broke into the industry by doing radio commentary, but it wasn't radio commentary. It was actually for people who would phone up um, and call up to get the score and they could listen to Neil Manthorpe commentate a Warwickshire game. That's right. Yeah, it was in the late 1980s. Um, British Telecom came up with this um, cunning idea to fleece people for as much money as they possibly could uh, with the institution of premium rate telephone lines. Um, and they were used um, to encourage people to gamble and um, and call up uh, um, illicit sex workers, I think, although I'm not sure that they were really were um, sex workers. Uh, but um, people uh, spent many, many hundreds of thousands of pounds. It was in Britain. Um, and uh, then uh, they decided to <laughs> set up a, a sports line. Um, and, yeah, I, uh, they appointed um, a commentator for every one of the 18 counties. I think Durham had just been – were Durham a county then? Or was no, it Durham 17? wouldn't have been a county. No, they weren't. Durham weren't yeah. a county then. So there were 17 of us. And we followed the teams around, travelled around uh, for three years. So we'd have two commentators and then we'd um, – find a, a, a retired pro or, or somebody else willing to be our co-commentators. And we did ball-by-ball commentary on a full county season, which back in those days was, I don't know, it was about 30 games, wasn't it? It felt like about 50. Um, and we did like 10,000 miles in our second-hand cars. So that's how it started for me. I don't want you to go through your full resume because, as I said, we will be here for quite a while. But for the 12 people in South African cricket who have never heard of you, can you give us a brief overview of your career from working on the telephone sex line all the way through to today? <laughs> Actually, um, so um, I I grew up in, in South Africa and, um, and then I think it was um, – this is all a very long time ago. I think it was to avoid conscription into the South African army that my parents encouraged me to go back to the UK, which is where I was actually born. Um, so that's where the, the the journalism started for me. Um, and uh, and and then I always wanted to return to South Africa, and and Julie did. Um, the interesting thing is that I, my county was Warwickshire, um, 
And Alan Donald was the overseas pro. So I became um, quite good friends with uh, Alan Donald. And, um, you know, one time he came to me and uh, and said, listen, um, England have asked me to qualify for them. What do you think? Um, and I said, well, South Africa will be back in international cricket. This was like 89, 90. And um, he said, not a chance. We've been out for 20 years. There's no chance. And I'd heard uh, about the developments with um, Ali Bakr and the Tour to India. So... Um, I, I'm digressing already. I can't. I mean, I haven't got out of 1989 yet. Anyway, I've <laughs> been commentating for the SABC for for 30 years um, in South Africa, and I um, and I've written for lots of people, <laughs> and um, and I now have my own emailer, and and there you go, Jared. Um, you probably know more about my career in the last 35 years than I do. I can't remember. I've forgotten more than I can remember. Your last ghost-written book was Mark Boucher's, is that right, current coach? Is that the last one you did? Yeah, that's right. Yes, it, it is. And funnily enough, a couple of years ago on a tour to Australia, when would that have been, 2008, 2012, um, I was asked to be um, on a panel of speakers at a lavish dinner in Melbourne, and I couldn't work out why on earth they'd chosen me. Um, and it was only when I got to the dinner, and they, they were paying like $1,000, you know, which is more than I was going to earn for the tour. Um, and, uh, it's only when I got to the dinner and, uh, and I saw who the other guests were and the two head coaches were Gary Kirsten and Mickey Arthur and the compare stood up and he said, well, we've got the coaches of both teams and we're fortunate to have in the middle, the man who wrote both of their biographies. <laughs> so, um, that, that was a good, that was, I earned more money from the dinner than I did from selling the books. Uh, but yes, I did Mark Boucher as well. I did a book with Graham Smith as well, kind of a couple of others. Uh, our personal history, we could say for other podcasts going ahead, we have shared a lover's B&B in Manchester once before. <laughs> and also we once shared uh, Jody Kidd's uh, childhood bathroom, which actually sounds really icky now I've said it out loud, but that is a thing that happened. Um, Zams, luckily you and I have no such filthy stories um, uh, that we can go into. You, your, your history is quite interesting because you went to Kevin Peterson's school and you, you, and you played a lot of cricket yourself. You played, would, would, what would you say, semi-professional cricket in England? Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's, that's fair to say. Started in a small village called Chelford uh, and then went to play in the Merseyside competition for a couple of seasons um, as an overseas, technically replacing... Dwayne Bravo, but not quite as prestigiously because he suddenly got called up for the West Indians and I snuck in and yeah, played for a couple of years. And, and then my parents said I had to come back and finish my studies. Um, and thank goodness they did, because if you're not going to play cricket professionally, if you can write about it, uh, the career is probably going to last a lot longer. <laughs> and, and thank goodness it did. So they definitely, as usual, had the right advice. And um, at, in the early days, actually, I, I, I wrote a lot for... Neil Manthorpe's uh, company. So we've had a, a long and uh, very friendly association with uh, Manthorpe and all the uh, superstars in the background who, who play such a significant role in, in that company. Um, and learned a lot from Neil, obviously, over the years. Um, Travelled to Sri Lanka and India, particularly with him, and, and the UK. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my very brief summary. I've, I've not... Um, sat in between two coaches who are, I've written both books, but the one that I have got yet, written was yet, yet. 
I did sneak in uh, Mike Proctor's book um, a couple of years ago, which was uh, quite an experience. First time you've ever called me Neil. Yeah, I thought that was weird too. I didn't want to correct him, but when when he said that, I was like, "Is this is this okay?" I, I think I think on this podcast of all places, you are officially a manners. Uh, when did you you sort of you started more as a normal cricket writer, but then a little bit more like me, you sort of morphed into more of a feature level writer how did that sort of come about just opportunity or is that the way that you see your writing yeah i just had a lot more fun talking about being chucked out of tuk-tuks and taking detours to find random muffin shops in bangalore as opposed to writing about ball by ball and yeah luckily the the company that i wrote for for the longest independent newspapers were quite keen on especially on tour almost having a tour diary and painting a picture about the different countries that we're in and that came a lot more naturally than the ball ball by ball stuff uh, i mean i still enjoyed that too obviously a massive cricket fan but to 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 visit all these places and meet all these people and experience those cultures uh, it was important to try and give the readers that perspective as well so we've got your backstories and you can talk amongst yourselves on future podcasts as much as you want one thing i did want to talk about was more the south african cricket media I would say, and it'd be really interesting, I'm going to look at Manners' face, as I often do, to get a reaction here. I would say that all things considered, the way that South African cricket is sort of teetering on the edge of non-existence at times and can't even get a board together and all the problems they've had with, you know, quotas and race and kneeling and everything else that we'll get to in a bit. I would say that South African cricket media is actually quite strong. If you compare it to, say, New Zealand, where almost, there's almost no full-time cricket writers, I'd say Manners in South Africa, there's actually quite a good coverage of, of, of the game with a lot of talented and writers from sort of different backgrounds as well. Now, now there is. Um, there was a problem for the first 20 years of my career um, where um, the problem was that we all looked a bit like me. Um, you know, we were all white males and, and, and it, was a, it was a significant problem. And, I, you know, for a while you... Unaware of it, um, but but now I'm delighted to say that uh, we are rightly in the minority, and I think I've learnt more in the last uh, five or six years um, about the game because of the diversity of people who are writing about it and covering it. Um, it's been it's been horribly slow to change, but uh, I'm delighted to say that that is now the case. And there's a lot of enthusiasm, huge enthusiasm for for cricket in South Africa as well. I mean, it's not. Um, like New Zealand, um, I, I'm not sure that there is a single full-time cricket correspondent um, in New Zealand. They all are expected to to do um, kayaking and and sailing and and mountaineering in between um, the cricket games that they do. But so I mean, uh, you know, money's a problem. Um, I'm currently on the tour of England, and there's only three of us here, uh, whereas there used to be um, seven or eight media on tour. But um, finance and budgets are a problem. Um, I'm delighted to say and relieved to say that diversity is becoming much less of a problem. And Zabs, like when the when the racial committee came about, I I felt like there was a lot of different people I could read on it. It was and and again, it was, you know, from someone like Telford Vice and uh, you know, he had his take on it and then you had you you know, you wrote a couple of incredible features on it. You know, Dan and Manners had his I think and Fados. It just feels like for everything that's going wrong with South African cricket, it does feel that the media, even if you're all massively underpaid, um, it does actually feel like there's a lot of people working in cricket media. Yeah, absolutely. I think, like Manus says, the, the the transformation over the last 
few years, uh, I won't say decade, um, has definitely been accelerated and, you know, they're, they're important voices because they speak to to different communities and different perspectives because the, it's a reflection of the team as well, you know, more and more of the Proteas players, men's and women's come from small towns that very few people have heard about, but they've got remarkable stories and obviously they don't play alone in those towns. Um, so there's interest and, 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 and I think as you bring in all those those different views um, and voices from from across South Africa, the South African story becomes richer for it, and 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 people, you know, gain a, a better understanding of of just how deeply embedded the game is across all communities in South Africa, which, as Neil said, wasn't always the case. Mm. And man, as uh, I mean, you've already aged yourself with your telephone commentary that I made you talk about. You you worked through South African readmission, Hansi Cronier, and so many other major, you know, breaking points in South African cricket, or, or or turning points, I should say. It feels like this particular era is a very very important era for the future of South African cricket. Everything that's going on, you know, uh, you know, from the racial, uh, you know, hearings through to the the board basically falling apart to now, you know, a bunch of Indian businessmen coming in and buying all the franchises. It does legitimately feel like this is a really important time in South African cricket. There have been a lot of scandals. You're quite right. I mean, there, there was only one time where you momentarily thought, well, how's the game going to survive this? Um, which was a bit silly, really. I mean, it was in 2000 and, and Hansi Cronier's demise with the match-fixing stuff in India. Um, but, you know, it felt enormous. It, it felt like a, such a vast, um, massive scandal um, which of course, you know, the game was always destined to recover from. Um, and there have been, have been a lot of, uh, of, of times where we've had to think about the future of the game. Um, but not whether it would survive, um, in a recognizable form. This is the first time where that, um, uh, has been happening. I think now, I mean, with, with the South African T20 league effectively becoming a mini IPL, um, you know, there are there are pros and cons. The biggest pro is that the professional game will survive in South Africa, I assume, because it, there will be enough revenue generated in order to um, maintain the, the first class structure. Um, it, it's so, the, you know, the, the South African situation is a microcosm of the world game because, um, you know, I was thinking, well, the, the good thing about the Indian money and in the IPL coming into Cricket South Africa is that it will be able to continue to maintain its um, development programs and its grassroots structures, um, and maintain its first class structure. But, uh, you know, the, the bigger question now is how much test cricket is there going to be outside of the ashes? Um, the small seven nations are playing two test series against each other. Um, you know, I, I was at Canterbury for four days thinking, looking at the people, um, in uh, the good people of Kent, uh, thinking this may well be the last time you see a touring team. Um, you get the opportunity. And, you know, I think it'll probably be the last time that I go to a tour match. Um, South Africa was, um, with respect to, to Pakistan, over the last 20 years, you know, they had the big three, England, Australia, and India. And South Africa were, by and large, pretty much in fourth place, you know, but they had a seat at the top table. And um, until the financial future, I'm assuming it's guaranteed, and I shouldn't make assumptions, I suppose, by the new um, T20 League, but assuming that it is, uh, guaranteed, then um, it, I, I, th I think it's a litmus test. It, is that what, what you're heading for, South Africa, the future of, uh, and the health of South Africa? Mm. Because, um, it, you know, it, I mean, I think a, a strong South African team in international cricket 
is very, very good for the game. I'm di- I'm digressing again, but I, I just, I'm thinking of the West Indies. No, you're not. I, I'm you're... thinking of the West Indies. You know, Jared. I mean, like, they are within a couple of okay, dollars you are um, away from from not being a test playing region, aren't they? No, definitely. I, I think that's very fair, and I think we probably have learnt more about South Africa being in that kind of situation in the last two years than we ever would have thought of them being in that sort of situation. And Sam, so when you look at it, like. So South Africa cancelled a tour to Australia for a domestic tournament. England quit a tour midway through. The entire board went, kind of. Um, there was a, a racial tribunal. Um, you had the things about Mark Boucher's um, history coming up. Uh, you had Quinton de Kock's knee. Uh, oh, and all the Indians buying a T20 league. I'm sure I'm missing something else. But just in the last year or year and a half, whenever however long that has all taken in, in that, th- it has been absolutely... Like South African cricket has been just ping ponging around the uh, around uh, you know the, the the newspapers from headline to headline. Yeah, I mean the fact that it all happened in a pandemic probably helped to 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 properly cast the necessary light on all these issues. You know, if there was a a tour happening uh, across most of them, you, you know, you kind of gloss over them and you get back and focus on the cricket. But the majority of the key issues, particularly the the segregation of the past and dealing with you know those issues, uh, historical imbalances. That was very important, and and the fact that it was it was something that that could be dealt with, and, and really unpacked on such a public forum was was important for the game to to now move forward to the to the place that it is now, where you know you are more hopeful of of the financial future. Certainly, um, I ran into Temba Bavuma the other day while he's injured, and you know he he said you know it's a lot more optimistic. Um, even the conversation around the ch- the change room is a lot more optimistic and and understanding and respectful. And it wasn't, you know, unfortunately, it wasn't always that way. So there were important conversations. And while you know the global pandemic was was very difficult for a lot of people, I think it also allowed South African cricket to to start the healing process. Certainly not heal overnight, but you know, make make everybody understand that you know, in order for the game to move forward, you. You need to all be on the same page and 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 have the same level of respect and 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 really get to understand because when you do, I think they've taken a leaf out of the rugby book where everybody's differences are embraced and and celebrated and you know you'd you'd never think you'd have a big Afrikaner running out into the field singing a closer song, but they do, and and they win and and the fans that they have and the support that they have commercially. Is is a consequence of the fact that it's you know mm. it's diversity in motion. It's not just something that's said and put on a TV promo. They actually they practice it and you know there's so so to take that inspiration and, and see what it's done for rugby and start implementing it into cricket and, and and start really encouraging all South Africans to play their part. You can't necessarily all play on the field. Manners it, and it, we've been talking probably exclusively about the men. This is also a really important time for the women's South African team. I felt that. The women's cricket in South Africa was held back for a very, very long time after readmission when uh, other nations had got their act together. And then you've now had this South African golden generation when it comes to the women's team. Um, you know, you, you put all these things in and you and I, you know, I, I was in Johannesburg at Wanderers, what, 15 years after the first time I was there. And the crowd was completely different. It feels like a different time for South African cricket. You know, men, women, all these different backgrounds. But also... What happens to South African cricket if it becomes 
little more than a breeding ground for English international players and, and IPL players. Is, is that a danger going forward? <laughs> I know that you, uh, all your instincts are, are telling me, that, or my instincts are, are telling me that you want me to say yes. But no, you say what no, you want to say. I, I'm not so sure that it will. I mean, South Africa has overproduced cricketers that that can make a living in this country for for many, many, many decades. And just a point about the women. Women. I mean, it's extraordinary when you say that the women's game was held back. Um, I mean, almost literally. Um, you know, they're, they're mm. lacking in facilities. The the level of of, of prejudice and, and sexism um, was truly astonishing, and and for the for the women to have continued to play, and to beg, borrow, and not steal club grounds, but you know to make use of whatever facilities they could, just to keep the game going. And it wasn't until Momentum came along, who've been a brilliant sponsor the men's and women's games. Um, and when the the men's team and the men's board of Cricket South Africa, the male-dominated board, um, was being behaving so reprehensibly, um, Momentum said, you know what, we're, we're going to devote ourselves entirely to the women's team, um, which was a stunning move on their behalf. And that's why I'm going to mention them so many times. Momentum, Momentum. They've done brilliantly. Um, they're a financial services uh, company and um and there are very fine crickets other financial service companies are available <laughs> uh, as well but if you want to support the south african other women's financial team, services support companies are available um but yeah that that has been um to see to see the way that women's team has developed and the women's game has developed I and mean, there's still more to to be done but uh that's really been the truly the most um uplifting thing but going back to the point about the overproduction of players you know the just the facilities private schools mostly still um and 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 the weather um and the 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 level at which um cricket is played again so i'd like Zams to you know to endorse this it's still largely at exclusive private schools still majority white um but things are changing anyway i mean there's 50 of them um and you know if if each one of them produces one player a year of first-class um, quality, then that's already too many for the for the first-class structure. So um, guys like Devolt Brevis, I mean, I know Zams and I, well, I think we're going to do a whole episode or maybe a dozen episodes on Devolt Brevis because he he's the he's the the poster boy of the new generation. I wrote a column the other day about, is he ever going to play for South Africa? And if he does, how is he going to get selected? Because he's not going to play first-class cricket. Um, he's now a he's now posting, um, you know, videos on social media about how he's, um, his new family is the Mumbai Indians. And, and he's going to play for them in the IPL and in South Africa. And so, so do you know what? I mean, bizarrely, and it, it does sound strange, but I mean, he's a precocious talent and brilliant, brilliant cricketer. Um, and South Africa produced lots of them. Um, and if, and if you know, a whole bunch of them never play for South Africa and, and become nine-month-a-year franchise players or, or, or go and play for New Zealand or Holland or Ireland or the <laughs> Netherlands, um, and they all do, then I still think South Africa will be competitive. Weird, isn't it? I couldn't agree more. I mean, James, just to follow up on that, and we'll finish up here, but essentially... One of the great things about the franchise system is that they are looking for talent everywhere. 
right? And we know how much talent is in South Africa. We also know how much talent is outside of that white public school or private school um, education. The more money that comes into South African cricket, even if those players don't all end up playing for South Africa, it's still huge in what it can do in, in changing the sport within South Africa, isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. You know, unfortunately, cricket is one of those sports to get into. It's expensive, which is is why eventually you have to find your way to a decent school that has decent facilities in order to become a decent cricketer. Um, but yeah, as you say, as more money filters into the right hands, which wasn't always the case in South African cricket, and and really starts changing lives from a young age, then you start seeing you know um, these remarkable cricketers coming through because they are there. You know, there's there's an over hundred year festival played in in the villages in the Kosa villages, um, playing for a goat essentially around Christmas, and it's it's one of the most prestigious cricket festivals in the world, and they've played it for years. So long before they went to private school, so cricket has been played. Um, but to elevate yourself from a backyard cricketer to an international cricketer who could hopefully win big things for South Africa, you do need that financial boost. And not all of it comes from momentum. Um, it's it's got to come from tournaments such as these that are coming and, and sponsors getting behind a team that they feel is representational. So it is coming. And I think the, the, the question that you ask, man, is South Africa will always have a competitive team because... Unfortunately, this is a new South Africa and we haven't won as, as a new South Africa. We haven't won anything big in cricket. So that pull to be part of the first team that does that is, is, is massive. You ask any other player, you can pay them all the money in the world. But to land a World Cup for South Africa at this time in this unified team and country is, is something that matters deeply to everyone who puts on that jersey. So there'll always be a competitive South African team, you would think. I can't believe you just dissed Sean Pollock's Commonwealth Games gold medal right there. But I mean, if that's the way you want to start this podcast, that's, that's how you have. I find it really interesting, you know, when, when I'm putting all these podcasts together, you know, thinking, you know, I knew I, I basically set the whole network around Neil Manthorpe because everything has to be Neil Manthorpe proof. Um, and he, I know he's going to ask more questions and be angrier with me than anything else. So I had to make everything Neil Manthorpe proof. And one of the things was, oh God, I hope, He's got enough to talk about. And then I thought to myself, this we're coming up to a World Cup and generally in a way, someone's turned the lights out on Zams, but generally <laughs> in a World Cup. Load shedding. Load yeah. shedding. It's a South African term that you'll understand. Oh, I'm very And aware it's coming it. to yeah. the UK. <laughs> yeah, wow. exactly. But usually at this time, what we're, we're they're playing England. So obviously there would be the fascination with England. But this close to a World Cup, man, is normally there would be like this almost existential dread about what will happen with South Africa uh, uh, coming up to a World Cup. But it feels like it's almost just a small part of the story. There is just an incredible amount going on in South African cricket at the moment. And so for while the other podcasts might struggle to come up with content, I assume you guys will be able to do, what, five, six, seven episodes a week. You should be fine. A day? The commander's face. I wasn't sure if he'd frozen then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering how many of our... Viewers, listeners will will know what load shedding is. It's a it's a it's the politest term the South African government could come up with. Power cuts. That's what it is. They 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 haven't got enough money to put in the meter, and they haven't got enough coal to put in the power stations. So every two or three hours, <laughs> Zams and the rest of South Africa have their power cut. Just bizarre, isn't it? And you must have a battery. Have you got a Have you got a generator? A generator. It, it's coming to the UK. Yeah. They, they're running out of, of power as well. So it is an international phenomenon, much like T20 cricket. 
Not load shedding. That's very much a South African phenomenon, the actual term, I think, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I've been reading stories about people's heating bills going or electricity bills going up from £2,000 a year to £5,000 in the UK. So I think before load shedding gets there, people will just be turning their own lights off. Exactly. Exactly. Well, look, I'm not going to make you guys talk anymore. Um, I'm fascinated to see what you two uh, do as a as a partnership going forward. I'm fascinated to see how often Zams calls you Neil. Uh, I think uh, I couldn't I couldn't have thought uh, I couldn't have put two better people together for this podcast. So from 99.94's uh, perspective, just a huge thank you to both of you for going. If you are a South African fan and you're listening to this, or you've seen it on on YouTube, or you're listening to it on Red Inca. Um, South Africa on 99.94 is the uh, way to find this podcast. Subscribe, rate, review, talk about Manners' hair, talk about Zamza's hats, whatever you need to get the attention for these two great men. Uh, but just from, from our perspective, it's a real honor to have both of you on the podcast, and I can't wait to become a listener. Thanks, JK. I look forward to unfurling a lot of stories and a lot of interesting hairstyles. This is due an upgrade very soon. Yeah. I think I'm going to do more upstairs than Manners can. He's a bit more limited, so he's going to be the storyteller. That's story the shortest teller, I've seen it for the... ages. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed in it, if we're being honest. It's not been cut. It's just been tweaked. <laughs> <laughs> well, just like this podcast, it's not been cut. It's just been tweaked. And so this is my last episode on this podcast. So from now on, I hand over to the great, the two great men ahead of us, and I can't wait to listen. So thank you so much for joining today. Remember, subscribe to them, rate them, press the little bell thing, review them, do whatever you can, and listen to as many South Africa on 99.94 episodes as you possibly can. Thank you, gentlemen. Cheers. Thanks, Jared. Thanks for listening to Red Inca on 99.94. For more information about us, go to 99.94dm.com. You can now download us wherever you find your apps just by putting in 99.94. There'll be other cricket podcasts not actually hosted by me, and there'll also be some radio commentary coming soon. This podcast is made available by the people who support us at Patreon, so thank you to all of those who do. There is a link to the Patreon in the show notes. Red Inker is made by me, Jared Kimber. Nick McCorriston makes the best audio anyone can from random Zoom calls. Makunja Banredi is in charge of our video side. Orijati Senpathy turns the files into video podcasts, and Shabanka Patacharya makes our graphics. Our theme tune is called The Prisoner by the Red Cricket. <laughs>